Welcome to the Small Hours Podcast. My name is Al Gavada. Thank you very much for joining us. It is episode 21. Man, it's lonely here without Brother Joe. All right, going to plow through episode 21 solo this time around, so thank you very much for joining me, and hopefully next time around we'll get uh, Brother Joe back in. Kicking it off with some news from Box Office Mojo. With an estimated $21 million, Kung Fu Panda 3 took home the number one position for a second weekend in a row. The 49% drop is a bit steeper than expected, but could also have to do with some hesitation with predicting too high of a Sunday gross. Nevertheless, with no serious competition arriving in Till Zootopia on March 4th, this one still has a lot of time to rake in a few dollars. In second place and topping the list of newcomers, Joel and Ethan Cohen's Hail Caesar finished the weekend with an estimated $11.4 million. However, it does have a C- cinema score from opening day audiences. This is the lowest opening for a Cohen Brothers release opening in over 1,500 theaters, and it will likely finish around $27 to $30 million if word of mouth doesn't hurt it too much. That said, critics certainly enjoyed it as it scored a 79% certified fresh rating at Rutgers. Tomatoes and a solid score of 72 at Metacritic. So perhaps there is an audience that'll keep it alive, many of which may catch it this coming weekend after staying home to watch the Super Bowl last weekend. Finishing second among the new releases is the latest Nicholas Sparks adaptation, The Choice. The film did manage to crack the top five thanks to the underperforming Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, but it also has the distinction of owning the lowest opening weekend of any Sparks adaptation. No previous adaptation had opened with less than $10 million. The Choice did all it could do to come in an estimated $6 million and a B-plus cinema score. Next weekend, this one will be hoping to best the second weekend average drop of about 44.6% for a Sparks film if it wants to gross over $20 million for its domestic run. Landing in sixth place is the aforementioned Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, pulling in a paltry $5.2 million with a B-minus cinema score. Screen Gems doesn't stand to lose much on this one as it was fully financed by Cross Creek Pictures, but with a budget reportedly to be, um, reported to be around $28 million and a domestic run that may struggle to reach 16 million this one is going to be hoping for big returns internationally taking third position after director alejandro inarritu took home the director's guild award on saturday night the revenant added another 7.1 million dollars as it is now just shy of 150 million dollars domestically over 326 million worldwide it has already been mentioned but star wars the force awakens has now become the only film to not only cross 800 million dollars domestically but this weekend it crossed 900 million dollars in north america after eight weeks in release and another top five finish, Star Wars added another $6.8 million, bringing its cum to $905.9 million. Its worldwide total now stands, believe it or not, at $2.008 billion. Not too shabby. A couple other new releases including uh, included China Lines of Monkey King 2, bringing in an estimated 175000 from 38 theaters. Regression with Emma Watson and Ethan Hawke finished with $31,000 from 10 theaters. Overall, the weekend's top 12 was down 40%, a little over 40% from the same weekend last year, but only $2.9 million down from Super Bowl weekend last year, which came a week earlier. Next weekend, or this coming weekend rather, should be interesting as Deadpool is going to be opening up in over 3,900 theaters, a a 70 million or more opening weekend alongside the release of Zoolander 2 and How to Be Single. Not much competition for Deadpool and I, I really do honestly hope it breaks 70 million dollars. They already greenlit the, uh, the movie and we'll talk about that in the sequel rather. We'll talk about that in just a bit. 
In other news from Box Office Mojo, Warner Brothers has adjusted their release schedule following Disney's decision a few weeks ago to move Star Wars Episode 8 from May 26, 2017 to December 15, 2017. The move put the next episode in the Star Wars saga directly opposite Steven Spielberg's adaptation of Ready Player One, which left Warner Brothers no choice but to search for a new date. As it turns out, they decided March 2018 would uh, pretty much be all theirs. Ready Player One is now set for March 30th, 2018, where it will currently face off against one of Universal's upcoming Monster Universe films, believed to be the new incarnation of The Wolfman. The studio previously had what they're referring to as an untitled DC film, though largely believed to be The Flash, set for a March 23rd release. But with the decision to move Ready Player One into the same month, they've moved The Flash forward to March 16th. This gives the studio two weeks of breathing room, but their March 2018 slate doesn't end there. If you thought two large films within two weeks of one another was a lot, Warner Brothers has also added two new untitled features to their slate, and by the sounds of it, they aren't Mall. The first is an untitled WB event film set for March 2nd. Then, three weeks after Ready Player One, the studio will release an untitled New Line tentpole on April 20th, 2018. This means a new DC Universe film and a new Steven Spielberg sci-fi feature will be bookended by an event film and a tentpole feature. The marketing bill on those four movies won't be small, so it's going to be a very, very crowded month around March and into April. From HollywoodReporter.com, Fox is betting that audiences will not get a load of Deadpool when the movie opens this weekend? I don't know what that means. But we'll immediately want more, which is why the studio is already working on the sequel. The writers of Deadpool are writing the script for a follow-up, which has already been greenlit. The fact that a sequel is in the works should not be a surprise at this point. Deadpool is tracking to open to at least $65 million over the upcoming four-day holiday weekend, with some estimates pointing north of $70 million. Tim Miller directed Deadpool, and although he has not signed on to helm the sequel, Fox is intent on keeping the creative team together. The writers and Miller, as well as star Ryan Reynolds, have fought an uphill battle within the studio system to get the movie made, forging themselves into a compact unit. Wernick and Reese, the writers who also acted as executive producers on the movie, remained on board throughout the development and production, a rarity in a system that interchanges scribes at high rates. Deadpool is an R-rated, thank God, action comedy based on an irreverent Marvel Comics character who is part of the universe of X-Men heroes, to which Fox has the license. Checking out some uh, music news from Blabbermouth. Metallica guitarist Kirk Hammett spoke to Rolling Stone about the progress of the recording sessions for the band's long-awaited follow-up to 2008's Death Magnetic. He said that the group is, quote, moving at a pace that allows us to live our lives and not have our lifestyles change too much. He added that Metallica has come up with ideas for a bunch of songs, more than enough songs, but none are finished. We're slogging away, he said, but you know, it's metal, it's heavy. Metallica drummer Lars Ulrich told Rolling Stone last year that the band has written close to 20 new songs for its long-awaited 10th solo uh, studio album, rather, although he declined to offer a possible release date for the new CD. He said, in our world, there's been a distinct difference between the creative phase and the recording phase. With this project, we're trying to bridge the two a little more organically and not have there be such a great divide between the processes. We want to see if we can bring some of the creative curiosity, the impulsive stuff that happens when you're first playing a song into the studio. He added that the band doesn't want to record in a way that feels labored over and overthought. Robert Trujillo, on the other hand, told the Pulse of Radio that there's always a surplus of new song ideas coming out of guitarist vocalist James Hetfield. James usually comes up with a lot of stuff. He's uh, the kind of guy where he plugs in his guitar, turns a volume knob or, you know, a tone knob, and he comes up with, you know, the greatest riff that you can imagine. So in that case, there's no shortage of riffs and ideas. Aside from touring, Metallica has spent much of the eight years since releasing Death Magnetic on several other projects, including launching a music festival, collaborating on an album with the late Lou Reed, and of course, making a feature film. Ulrich told a Pulse of Radio not long ago that spending all its time making an album is no longer a priority for Metallica. If we had to sit there and say, okay, boys, now you write for the rest of the year, and then you spend the next 
minutes here after that recording, I would pull what seven hairs I have left. I'd pull those out and I'd rather just stab myself in the eye with nails or whatever. He said, I just, I, I couldn't do it. I mean, we love the position that we're in to be able to come and go between all these different projects. That's what keeps us alive. Sorry, Jason Newstead. A little too early for you. In a brand new interview with Daily Bulletin, former Van Halen singer Sammy Hagar was asked what he would do if the group called him to come back. He responded, My favorite thing to say without biting my own tongue is no comment. Every time I turn around, it's a no-win situation. If I say what I feel, I would always get 50% of the Van Halen fans saying, Right on, you rule. Then the haters would dog me like, You're always dogging Van Halen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just shut up. They get their wish. We'll see what happens when it happens. If it happens. Hagar and Van Halen guitarist Eddie Van Halen recently exchanged tweets on Eddie's 61st birthday, leading to speculation that the longtime war of words between the two may finally be coming to an end. Hagar, if you remember last year, blasted his former bandmates in an interview with Rollingstone.com, saying there's no chemistry between the members of the group's current lineup, which includes singer David Lee Roth. He explained, I can only speculate on what I've seen on YouTube, things people send me now and then. There's just no chemistry up there. They don't like each other. I mean, it's obvious. It's like a backup band with a guy out there in front. I bet they don't say five words to each other offstage. Then he added, Van Halen was always about chemistry in the early days. Early, that band was all about chemistry, man. They were on fire. When I joined the band, they had great musical chemistry. We were friends and we were on fire. We had so much fun. It should have been illegal. Now all that's gone. Then he was asked if he thinks he'll ever speak to guitar Eddie Van Halen again. Sammy said, I'd hope so because that would be really sad if any one of us, I'll put myself in the same category, took this to our graves. But who knows? Whatever. It's not my decision because I was the one they pushed out, tried to screw over. To me, it's up to them to come back and say they're sorry. Hagar said he was not sorry for anything he did while in Van Halen, but added, I wouldn't want to be in a band like that right now. I'd feel like a hypocrite for joining the band. How about that? There's a good quote for you. If I joined Van Halen right now, I'd feel like the biggest hypocrite in the world, and I'm not a hypocrite. So there you go. A uh, shortened, a truncated version of episode 21 of the Small Hours podcast. The most of the stuff going on in the news today and most of the stuff that's been on my top of mind has to do more with politics, right? And uh, the uh, the races going on. So I'd really rather not talk about that on the Small Hours podcast. I will say this. Just a, a little while ago, I saw the final, I guess, trailer for Batman v Superman. And out of all the trailers and teasers that they've released, this is the one I've liked the most. It starts with a fight scene involving... Batman, and then it does some other stuff, you know, talking about Superman, a little bit about Wonder Woman, and that's it. A little face-off between Batman and Superman. That's it. They don't go into a whole lot of, a lot of other stuff, and even better, very little Jesse Eisenberg, or whatever his name is. So, that was the best trailer for Batman v Superman I've seen, insofar as I'm concerned. So, if you haven't checked it out to, uh, yourself, go do that. Do yourself a favor and check it out. It looks really good. I uh, It kind of raised my hopes for the movie a little bit once I saw that trailer. This weekend is Valentine's Day, so I hope you get to spend it with somebody you love, whether it's another human or inflatable or whatever, and you enjoy your weekend. We hope to see you next weekend for episode number 22 of the Small Hours Podcast. Don't forget, you can check out all previous episodes at thesmallhours.podbean.com. That's thesmallhours.podbean.com and you can contact us via email smallhoursemail at gmail.com That's smallhoursemail at gmail.com. You've been listening to the Small Hours Podcast with Al Guevara. I'm Al Guevara. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>